In my early 20s, I had a job, and so this is a couple years ago now. And, uh, and I, there was this particular coworker, and we, we had a lot of conversations about God. We would talk about faith, and one particular shift, I was sharing the gospel with her, and she responded by saying, okay, what should I do? The rest is blurry. I remember fumbling over words, that's for sure. But I want to pose that question to you. If you were to share the gospel with somebody, what Jesus Christ has done, and they respond by saying, what should I do? What would you say next? Well, that's exactly where we pick things up in the text. The Holy Spirit has come and filled Christians. This is two, two sermons ago, two weeks ago, we see the Holy Spirit has come and filled the first Christians. And what happened next is they spill out into the street and start proclaiming the word of God in languages they didn't know, which was incredible because for, for the most part, they are these uneducated Galilean Christians, and I've heard it put this way, it was something like the crew of Duck Dynasty breaking out in flawless Mandarin and French. And people from all over the ancient world were in Jerusalem and recognized these uneducated Galilean folks speaking the word of God in a language that only they really understood. Very few people would have understood. How would they have understood it? And then after that, Peter gets up and preaches a sermon to them. And it's at this point that the crowd say to Peter, what shall we do? So this is where we're going to go with our time today. First, we're going to look at what Jesus did. Second, what we are to do. And third, what Jesus offers. So let's start with what Jesus did. So just backing up, our text starts in verse 37 today, but let's back up to verse 36 where Peter is saying, God has made him, that's, this is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then it says in verse 37, now they when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Picking up where we left off last week, like I said, with Peter's sermon, he has just told the crowd, you crucified Jesus. He is Lord, he is master, he is ruler, and God raised him and we have seen him raised. Like that's a bold preacher, Peter. You killed Jesus, he said to them. Now, that's a really fascinating statement, isn't it? Because we read in Acts chapter 1 verse 3 that Jesus appeared to his disciples for about 40 days after the resurrection or for 40 days. And then he ascends and then they go to this upper room for a number of days. And then the spirit descends upon them and they spill out into the street. So we're talking 50, 60 days, I don't know, at least since Jesus ascended to heaven after the resurrection. So that means that there were those in the crowd who weren't even in town and in no way then really participated in the death of Jesus. And yet that doesn't seem to bother Peter very much. He can, in his mind, still confidently say to this crowd, you killed Jesus. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Mel Gibson uh, directed and produced The Passion of the Christ a number of years ago, and he didn't star in the film. He just directed and produced it, and yet he does appear in one scene. Do you know what that one scene is? His hand holding the nail and the hammer that pierced the hand of Jesus, nailed him to the cross. Why did he do that? Well, 
Gibson's understanding was this. I did that. I played a part in this. My sin put him there. Do you believe that about yourself and about your, your own wrongdoing? My sin nailed Jesus to the cross. I'd like to just quickly give you three arguments for why both you and I killed Jesus, and they essentially come from Romans 1 to 3. Here's the first. It's our preference for the creation over the creator. God made all things, and yet we are given to worshiping the things rather than the maker of the things. Over and over again, we show by our actions and our affections that we don't want God. We want his stuff. And instead of seeing creation for what it is, every beauty, everything that we find stunning, rather than seeing that as a marker of the greatness and glory of God and then fixating our affections on him, we get so enamored with creation itself rather than seeing it as the marker that it is. Every time we fixate and on and worship and center our lives around anything or anyone other than Jesus, we sin against him. And you and I have all done it. Second, we think we're smarter than God. We'd never say that. We'd never say that. But we think we're smarter than God. Our logic, our mind games, our actions all attest to this. We live that way over and over again. We create out clauses, caveats for why I personally don't need to submit to God's word and his rule and his reign in my life. We consistently think we're the exception. Yes, ordinarily sinners are supposed to submit to the authority and lordship of Christ, but because of the unique challenges I'm going through, it doesn't apply to me. God loves me, and he doesn't really want me to do those things and to live that way because, well, he understands my circumstances are unique. And in that moment, we're, us we're usurping God. Look, we need our smartphones to give us directions anytime we're more than five minutes from our own houses. And yet deep down in the recesses of our hearts, we go, I know better, God. Like, we don't even know how to manage our own bank accounts that great. At least I don't. But God, on this, on my life, on, on understanding your will and your ways and what's ultimately best for me, I think I know. Every time we fail to acknowledge God's authority in our lives, we sin against him. Third, we have failed to acknowledge God as the giver of all good things. I've heard this illustration used once, and I think it's very helpful. Everybody remember Shaquille O'Neal. He's been retired from the NBA for quite a while now. But I always used to find it comical whenever Shaquille O'Neal would celebrate after dunking the basketball. If he put his hands up in the air, he was over nine feet tall already. And yet he would celebrate after dunking on a 10-foot rim. Why celebrate that? You didn't do anything special. You didn't do anything particularly challenging for you. Actually, God just made you tall. What Shaquille O'Neal should have done is celebrate, you know, hitting a free throw once in a while. 
happened very, very little in his career. But listen, that, this is, applies to all of us. Your station in life, your mind, your physical ability, or the affluent part of the world you live in, all glory should go to God for every good thing in your life, but instead you take the credit for yourself and look like Shaq celebrating a dunk every time you do, rather than praise God for the innate ability he's placed in you and the blessings that he's given you. See, every time we fail to acknowledge God as the giver of those gifts, we sin against him. For these reasons and many, many more, it's clear that our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned. In the original language, that word all means all. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have loved creation rather than the creator. We think we are smarter, that his ways don't apply to us. We have failed to acknowledge him at every turn. These are universally true of all of us. And yet, God in his grace justifies us. He makes us right with him. And I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly freeing. The Bible tells us the truth about ourselves that we on our own don't acknowledge. That's why following your heart on stuff is an absolute disaster. God's word tells us the truth about ourselves and deep down we know what the word of God says is true. It's telling the truth about us. But Here's the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus says, yes, you killed me, but I was dying for you. Your sin put me there, but I went there for you. It was your sin that put Jesus on the cross, but he went to the cross gladly to rescue you. What has Jesus done? rescued a sinner like me and sinners like you. And then the text goes on and the, the crowd at this point after Peter has said, you killed him. They say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus. So second, what are we to do? Well, we see it there. It's two things. Let's go with the first. We are to repent. There's two parts to the, the, the Greek word for repent, and they have to do with, with your mind and change. It has to do with the changing of your mind. What does it mean to repent? It means to change your mind about Jesus. Uh, in Hebrew, the word repentance has, has to do with returning. So, so God has these chosen people in the Old Testament, Israel. They are his, his special people, that they would shine before the whole world and reveal his glory to the world and they keep wandering from him. And so the word repentance is that they are to return and over and over again, this loving God invites them to return. It also has to do with simply turning around. So let me, let me give you an example of this, okay? I'm, I'm a little, I don't know if my directions are right here. Am I, I think I'm facing Manitoba right now. Let's pretend I am at least. No, I'm not. Manitoba, right? Yeah, thank you. If I'm walking and heading this way and even thinking in my mind, going to Manitoba is a good thing, what do I need to do? I need to repent, right? 
if I'm faced in Manitoba and I think this is the way to go, you need to call me on that and call me to repentance. What does repentance mean? It means turn, turn and go to the West Coast. We are West Coast folk. I need to stay going to the, so it's a full turn. So many people are offended right now, I can feel it. It's just a joke, it's just an example. I'm facing Manitoba. What does it truly mean to repent? It means to turn around and go the other way. That's repentance. I should repent, I should turn around. So a simple question for you is, have you turned from your own way and faced Jesus? Are you walking towards Jesus? Have you done that? If you've turned to Jesus in faith, I praise God for that. I find in the church that one of the challenges for us is we are often semi-turners. We're headed to Manitoba and then we turn halfway and we start going south. Not a bright idea in these dark days, everybody. All right? We're just having fun, okay? Just throwing that out there. If you're turning that, you're still not turning to Jesus or, or maybe it's Sunday or whatever. It's time to go to a church service. And so what do we do? Okay, I'll turn to Jesus now, but then on Monday, I'm gonna turn back to my own way. Oh, momentarily, I'll turn to Jesus, but then I'll turn around again. What are some areas of your life that you aren't handing over to Jesus and repenting of? What aspects of your life have you not handed over to Jesus? The crowd is asking, what shall we do? And Peter's response is repent, turn around, change your mind, follow after Jesus, go in the opposite direction. Listen, maybe you're, listening today and you've never turned to Jesus. I, I just want to invite you to respond and turn to Jesus. The thing about the gospel is that the gospel demands a response. And in fact, to not respond to the gospel is a response. See, the, the Pharaoh in the Old Testament over and over again, he would change his mind and he would decide, oh, okay, fine, I'll let, your pe I'll let God's people go, right, as he had them enslaved in Egypt. And then what would he do? He'd change his mind and, and it, it would say, it would kind of say two things. Over, uh, it would take turns on it. It would say that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then eventually it would say God hardened his heart. See, every time you hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and you're invited to turn to him, it's an opportunity to make a decision, to respond. Spurgeon said the same, Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher, said the same sun melts wax and hardens clay. What he's saying is the word of God humbles or hardens the human heart. Have you heard the gospel but never turned to Jesus? You are responding, but it's a continual hardening. It's yet again hardening. And I invite you to let your heart melt to the gospel and to turn to Jesus. It's an opportunity to step towards, to soften your heart and embrace the grace of the Lord Jesus. But Peter doesn't stop there. They say, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. To repent and be baptized is to turn away from everything you were and cast your lot with Jesus. This doesn't mean that baptism saves you. Really clear in other parts of the New Testament that, that it's repentance and faith. It's trusting, having faith in Jesus and what he has done that saves us. And yet baptism is this clear picture here of faithfulness to Jesus, the one who saves us. And so one of the first and simplest ways that you can show to the world that you're following Jesus in a meaningful way 
is to get baptized. Can I press this a little bit? To say I'm a follower of Jesus when you've had the opportunity to be baptized numerous times and you haven't, can I be really frank with you? It begins to raise questions about what you mean when you say you're following Jesus. Now, I don't mean that it's not complicated, baptism, or that there's not something that's scary about it and keeping you from doing it. I'm just saying that like the great commandments to love God and love neighbor are very complex. And over the course of the Christian life, it's like, I don't know if I'm loving God well in this area of my life, or I don't know if I'm loving neighbor well in this moment or in this way. Very complicated, very big. But when Jesus says, be baptized from his own mouth, says be baptized and we don't, when we've had opportunity, it starts to raise serious questions about what you mean about following Jesus. There's this book by Tim Kesey called Dispatches from the Front, and it's also a a documentary series where he went to a, a, a number of the hardest places to be a Christian in the world today. And then one of the episodes is about uh, some Christians in northern India uh, where um, actually some very militant Hindus made it difficult for Christians in that area that to become a Christian there meant to bring danger and hardship upon you and your family. And so the crew uh, get there and they spend some time with these Christians and they discover that they're about to have a baptism service. And in Tim Kesey's mind, he's thinking, oh man, this must be in like a bathtub somewhere, somewhere very private. If there's ever a scenario not to have a public baptism, this would be the place. And then they realize that no, it was gonna be outside at the river within eyesight of the militant Hindus who wanted to bring harm to the Christians in their community. They said, why do you do it? And one of the Christians answered, to be baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is not for the half-hearted and the private. It is decisive and it is public. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Public, decisive, all in, turning around, changing our mind, surrendering our lives to Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, but haven't been baptized, I just want to tell you, it's time. For some of you, you've waited so long that you feel like, ah, what's the point? Can I tell you what the point is? Today you have the opportunity to be obedient to Christ and his commands, and tomorrow you do as well. Don't delay. Choose today to put your faith, to put your trust, to publicly declare Jesus is Lord. For some of you in the room, I know you were baptized as an infant. For some of you watching, I know you were baptized as an infant. We are going through the book of Acts. We see baptism in Acts 27 times, and all 27 times they believed first. Peter's own words, repent and be baptized. Jesus' own words, repent and be baptized. For some... You'll say, well, I don't want to dishonor my parents who baptized me as an infant. And I know that that's complicated. But my quick response to that would be, actually it honors precisely what they wanted for you when they baptized you as an infant. 
They wanted your faith to be sure. They wanted you to come to salvation. They wanted you to live out your faith. And so in that way, it's honoring that infant baptism to be baptized as a believer. For some of you, I've heard this so many times and I get it and it's okay. I hear you say, I'm afraid of having to share my testimony on video. Can I press you today? Think of those Christians in India saying to be baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is not for the half-hearted and the private. It is decisive and it's public. On that note, our next baptism and ministry partnership class is October 17th. If you have not been baptized, I'm not joking. Write it down, register online. Why? So you can be faithful to a simple, straightforward command of Jesus. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus. But that's not it. We don't just see what Jesus has done and what we are to do. We also see in this text what Jesus offers. Look at verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? Forgiveness of sins. What does Jesus offer? He offers the forgiveness of sins. Perhaps you've heard this old story. It's from a number of years ago. But there was a father and his, his young adult son were having a lot of challenges in their relationship. This father loved his son a lot, but he gave him a lot of grief. And one day, this, this son of his was pressing him, and the dad was having a little bit of an argument with this son, and this young adult son just got so fed up, and he took off and said, Dad, I am out of here, and he left. And he left, and, and, and there was no word from him for days that turned into weeks, and weeks that turned into months, and months that turned into years. And this broke this father's heart who loved his son so dearly, but didn't know how to get the word out. Like I said, this was from a number of years ago. So what do you do? Well, you get out a classified ad in the newspaper, right? And so that's what he did in this big city. And he wrote John, that's his, it was his son's name, John. All is forgiven, come home, dad. And he wrote his phone number. To the surprise of this father, over the next few days, he received dozens of calls from young men named John who wanted nothing more than the embrace of forgiveness and reconciliation with their father. And every one of us are John. And Jesus is like, come home. I talked about all the ways that we nailed Jesus to the cross, right? And we did. Yet Jesus, the Son of God, spotless, perfect, died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and for mine so we could be forgiven. And if we would embrace Christ, the heavenly Father, God the Father looks down at us and sees the spotless record of his Son upon us. And so you know what we get when we turn to Jesus? The embrace of our heavenly Father. You know what Jesus offers? He offers us forgiveness, meaning this. When you come to Jesus, everything in the past is forgiven. All is forgiven. Come home. When you come to Jesus, everything in the past is forgiven. Nothing to prove but to lean into the embrace of the Father. But secondly, additionally, what is offered? You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
When you repent and turn to Jesus, you not just have your past dealt with. Something happens for the future. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that means the power to win battles. You never thought you could win and resist things that by yourself you would have been powerless to resist. See, when we repent, our past is wiped out in forgiveness, and we are made new people, the very Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. So as we close... Let me just ask you a few questions. Have you ever been cut to the heart like the hearers of Peter's sermon? And have you turned to Jesus in repentance and faith? Have you been baptized? Have you experienced the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit? All of that is waiting for you. At the same cross, that your sins put Jesus on is the same son of God who died in your place so your sins could be forgiven and you could have a new life in him now and new life in him everlasting. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you for the cross and and it's right and good that we recognize that our sins put you there. Peter was right. You killed him. That that statement resounds 2,000 years later for all of humankind. But at the same time, you died willingly for us, Jesus, that we could receive forgiveness that we could trust you in faith and live, that our sins could be dealt with and forgiven, your spirit could dwell in us. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've given, all that you've done, all that you offer. May we respond in faith, in faithfulness. Amen.